Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I am honored to be here with C. Duduzo Blosse. Thanks for joining me. Well done, Alex. Well done, Alex. (laughs) Thank you. Well, uh, currently, I'm uh, excited to talk with you about several topics, including some discourses about masculinity and decolonization in Adventism. Uh, In addition to that, I'm looking forward to hearing about your own story uh, as a pastor, as a uh, conference stewardship director in South Africa, and uh, currently as a graduate student pursuing a PhD at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. So we're gonna cover all of this uh, fun activity um, but tell me a little bit about uh, where you are right now um, and what's been going on uh, in your life. Right. So um, as of the 1st of September, um, I am no longer a pastor. I'm no longer in the pastoral ministry, uh, but I'm in now the academic ministry, uh, though not associated or linked to any uh, schools or church schools or colleges or universities. But I like to think of this and consider this a ministry uh, on its own. It's still teaching, preaching, uh, though this time it's, I think it's a more different and more difficult kind of ministry because it requires a bit more uh, communication through uh, character uh, com- connection as opposed to monologues <laughs> on, on, from the pulpit. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm, I'm doing right now. And I've moved so I'm still on the east coast of South Africa. I was in Durban, which is basically the Hawaii of South Africa, it's where I was born and raised. And I've moved down south on the east coast still to uh, the city of Port Elizabeth or Kadeja. I know you're very good at pronouncing uh, our Kosa and Zulu names, but I think uh, Kadeja might be a bridge too far for you That's as well. <laughs> we'll leave that to the experts. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where I am now on, uh, uh, in the Eastern Cape um, of South Africa in Port Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Let's talk, uh, since you're uh, pursuing um, a different type of ministry there as um, a graduate student, talk about what you're uh, researching, what you're interested in, in learning about and ultimately writing your dissertation on. Right. So I'm, I'm interested in indigenous knowledge, um, uh, indigenous uh, perspectives and experiences as sites of knowledge production, basically. Um, you know, <clears throat> um, so my, my dissertation is a post-colonial reading uh, of Romans chapter 9 through to 11. Uh, basically just reading the book of Romans, especially those chapters in the backdrop of empire and to see what themes and um, what, what, what messages do we find in the book of Romans that are impacted by the reality of 
the Roman Empire. And of course, uh, you know, as you as you as you read, I'm finding some nice and interesting things about Paul. You know, the tussle between Paul and James and the Jerusalem uh, brethren, and how that sort of reflects a dynamic that I see within the Adventist Church, which also operates within these two centers of power at any given context with the general conference at the center or North America at the center and any other context that you can think of around the globe. Uh, I see, you know, sort of like <laughs> the Jerusalem council, being, yeah. you know, the general conference. And so we reading, I'm reading uh, my community of faith within the Roman interaction and dialogue with Paul. And I'm seeing that sort of dynamic of silencing, um, of speaking over, um and uh yeah so without getting into my thesis too much um and and how do we in the global south read the text how do we read the bible how do we hear the bible under the reality of our history of colonialism uh history of oppression uh dehumanization uh spiritual curatorship which, by the way, if I may, um, I may say, sounds a bit more like the mark of the beast, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Stops us from trading, you know, curates our identity. It, it, it sort of manufactures our spirituality. It does sound rem remotely and remarkably close to the mark of the beast, uh, this colonialism thing. So we're saying, how? So I'm thinking, how do we read the Bible? And how do we hear it say if we read it within uh, that context? Bearing in mind that all Bible readings are contextual, all of them, including those that are claimed to be objective. Um, I mean, we how do we come up with the, the Roman Catholic Church in the book of Revelation? You need to have gone through an experience of experience, I mean, of, of seeing and experiencing total Roman Catholic domination and persecution and you know execution and its you know uh, power and hold over 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 civil authorities so that becomes you know a contextual reading on its own although it's presented as absolute so that's that's my thesis and that's the work that I'm trying to do to say all readings are contextual all readings are interested so what do we get from reading the bible within our context and how do we speak to this you know, to this community of readings, right? And to, to contribute to this community of readings. We want to hear someone from India. We want to hear someone from South America. We want to hear someone from North America. We don't want to silence those voices because that's, we want to, you know, sort of turn the tide around and, and, and take on the seat of dominance, decenter the dominant voices only to center your own. No, we're saying let's break down the center and create sort of like, um, a theater of multiple voices where they can speak to each other and create this contrapuntal engagement. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that uh, in a few years. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, uh, there's so many beautiful themes that you're talking about there that I feel like are part of the zeitgeist that we're in. And mm. I want to loop back to these, this idea of empire and um, colonization. I think it's very interesting that you're talking about Babylon and you're thinking about the powers that be within the Adventist church itself. Um, right. And the spirit, you know, the spirit wants to be free. So how do we do that inside of into institutional structures? Right. Um, can you talk a little, can you talk about how you came to this point where you're interested in pursuing these ideas 
you've been a pastor, you've been a stewardship director, you've been a theology student. Um, do, were, were you born ready for revolution or was it a process? <laughs> revolution or revelation, my brother. Revolution <laughs> or revelation. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I'll put it like this. And, and this is, I shared this with um, on another podcast that I did recently. I, when I went to study theology, so I had to move about 1,500 uh, kilometers away from home. That's about 1,000 miles. Yeah, 1.6, yeah, 1,000 miles uh, from home at, in the city of Cape Town. And the city of Cape Town in South Africa is still one of, you know, the last outposts of white hegemony and, and oh. dominance. And a lot of people who speak about Cape Town will, too, if, you, if you just go through your tweets and, you know, you, you will hardly, you'll be hard pressed to not find a tweet of someone black or, you know, brown um, complaining about the racism because of just the, the dominance uh, of, of white hegemony and white power in Cape Town itself, although it's still within the new South Africa. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I went to do my, my studies in Cape Town, um, funny enough, while I grew up towards the end of apartheid, uh, here in South Africa, right at, towards the end of, I mean, I started school right when the last president of apartheid, last apartheid president, uh, was 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 in power. Going to Cape Town in two thousand and four to do my theology degree was the first time I experienced an incident of racism in the New South Africa. Right, that there was, which was outright and blatant. Right, um, and it was not from. Uh, you know, someone on the street or from a stranger, but it was from a, a fellow church member, brother, a white brother, you know, for, from from church. And I think that was the first time I thought, hang on, if Cape Town is known for this racial tension and this and this white supremacist sort of like existence, um, and I'm finding someone who's a white brother in the church who displays similar symptoms. And Adventism is supposed to be this super cultural sort of community that saves people because, I mean, it saved me, in inverted commas, from my blackness. Why is it not saving this brother from his whiteness mm-hmm. and from his racism? Why do I have to leave my being at the door when I enter into the community of, you know, to this Adventist community? But this brother clearly hasn't done that. So that was the first question that sort of popped up in my hand, my mind that I'm the one that needs to curate myself in order to belong in the space. Uh, but, uh, you know, those of a lighter hue don't need to do that. They just simply walk in as they are, literally as they are. And they, yeah. they're never questioned. I, I can't do that. I can't. I, I could never do that. And the second thing was if Adventism is supposed to be this, you know, transcendent community of believers that are sent to change and transform the world. Why am I experiencing someone who seems to have been formed by the world, still freely exercising this bigotry within the Adventist community with such comfort and such confidence? So what is it about my community of faith that makes it easy for this gentleman or for these people i mean as we as we as we as we as the years went on at helderberg in cape town where we had three churches on the same campus but all of them which were divided along racial lines although you know you'll always get the pr spin of oh no the one church is for students the one church is for community members but there are three literally three churches on the on the campus 
And we saw a lot of that. And we saw a lot of those divisions within an Adventist campus, Adventist community. So, and, and, and so as I was wrestling with these questions in my undergrad, right? And I couldn't pursue these questions. I couldn't, you know, uh, sort of um, resolve them while I was still on campus because I had a curriculum that I needed to study and needed to learn. And so when I pursued my, my, my postgraduate studies, I chose a university that I, I knew uh, would not sort of try to, um, <clears throat> you know, police my, 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 my studies. And, and so ultimately, um, the, the goal of, of, of my studying and the curios my curiosity was that being curated and needing to culturally migrate in order to belong to a space like Adventism silences you in a way because you're always having to feel beholden. Uh, you're always having to feel like you need to aspire to whiteness in order to belong within Adventism. Whiteness is righteousness. <laughs> so, um, and I mean, if even as we speak here on the African continent, whenever you talk to people about what is righteousness, what is what is appropriate, what is the appropriate appearance in a in a in a in a, in a holy space or in church, they'll give you a white sort of definition: white music, white dress codes, white songs. Euro, well, let me not say white. Maybe let's say Euro Euro American transatlantic uh, sort of. Yeah. So. And I said, but what does Adventism sound like if it is, what is an Adventism that does not require me to disrobe myself of my ethnicity and of my being sound like? You're right. What does it look like? Mm -hmm. And that's why I chose Paul, because this is the guy who's caught in between these two communities that sort of, he can't divorce himself from his ethnicity of being a Jew, but at the same time, he's got this mission that seems to transcend his ethnicity and he's trying to balance these two. And it's, and I, that's sometimes that's how I feel like. And so that's where these questions come from. And with that comes the idea of, hang on, I'm not the only one who's silenced here. There are actually some who are more silenced than I am, like women, right, in the church. Hey, hang on, there are those who don't even belong in this space. At least I'm still allowed to come in and I preach and I'm not even questioned about my, 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 my credentials, my qualifications are not questioned when I come through. So I just need to put on a tie and a suit. In other words, all I need to do is sound white and look white, and then I'll be given the pulpit. But women, no matter how they sound, cannot look acceptable. They cannot work themselves into looking acceptable and to preaching. And so, yeah, my, my, my work is about sort of how do we amplify those marginalized voices and what does it sound like when they read the Bible back to us? I noticed that you have appeared on some panels connected to mm -hmm. thinking about gender. And um, I'm glad you brought that up because in the kind of North American narrative uh, for the last North American division, let's even be more specific for the last couple of, I would say maybe a generation um, there, you know, North America has tried to ordain women and, you know, at the general conference sessions, there's been this really unfortunate narrative. And again, I think you have to peel back several layers to understand mm. this because, you know, I, it's not news to you, of course, but, you know, yeah. the, the, the part of the world that's voted along with conservative, and I always think it's important to recognize let's say mm. fundamentalist Adventists in North America are part of the global South and, and the leaders, including Ted Wilson, who have fought women's ordination, have relied on them. I would even say used 
them for his own political purposes. And I think it's right. really interesting to have uh, you being more nuanced and, and kind of maybe helping people understand that it's not as binary as the votes look. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about how you see it. Well, brilliant question, hey, Alex, uh, because I mean, maybe also in a way you have just sort of rebuked my presentation of Euro Western transatlantic sort of identities as this homogenous group, <laughs> you know, without any um, sort of, uh, uh, as a, without diversity, you know, I and mean, I understand and I appreciate that it's quite diverse and it's, it, you know, so that's a very good critique and, and I must relook really at my <laughs> position on this. <laughs> Uh, and uh, but also uh, Africa is not as monolithic as we we as we'd like to think as people in the global north would like to think. Um, we we yeah, we do not subscribe. Not all of us subscribe to the same uh, sort of idea of 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 you know excluding women uh, from preaching. This idea that the pulpit is reserved for a certain gender because of just I don't know. I don't know what it is about men that is special and sets them apart over women uh, because we don't even believe in this idea of men as priests, but it's preached a lot and it's punted a, a, a lot as though it's Adventist, it's Adventist, but it's not, right? Um, so in, in other words, we are quite comfortable, you know, um, accepting foreign theologies, mm -hmm. right? As long as they protect the control and dominance of men within the community so we'll take it from the calvins as long as the calvins say that we are priests and the catholics say we are priests they are friends right uh but 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 and and also um so we'll we'll be co comfortable taking that those those that theology and sort of working it within our own theology and presenting it as gospel truth then having adventist female theologians mind the truth and allowing us to hear god speak prophetically from the word within an Adventist uh, sort of uh, a context or framework. So that's how much we hate women, <laughs> that we, 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 we would rather take poison from elsewhere than accept the truth from them. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. if, if, if that makes, if that makes yeah, any sense. That, it's absolutely uh, happened in, at, in, in the Adventist church. Much of our anti-women's ordination theology comes from a very small, but powerful yeah. part of evangelicalism yeah. uh, and, and is really not developed in any serious way in broader Christianity, but there's a small set of yeah. biblical research Institute and some other Adventists grabbed onto this theology that actually is rooted in anti-Trinitarianism. So yeah. we'll, we'll get rid of our concept of God to protect masculine power. Alex, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, 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 and that's, and that's, and that's, and that's it, right. Um, that we would rather recreate God, uh, we'd rather recreate God than to transform the, com the community of God or allow God to transform, um, his community. Uh, so we'll rather just recreate him, um, and, and, and so that he accommodates our bigotry, uh, and sexism. So, you know, Africa uh, as as a as a continent as a place, um, <clears throat> which by the way is a creation, right? Either way you look at it, but geographically it's man-made, it's created. Uh, 
identity-wise, it's man-made. African identities, African geography is, is, is man-made and it is created. Um, is, is, is actually quite uh, diverse in its views and its approaches and in its opinions. And one of the clearest signs of that is the, the texts and the papers that were submitted in, to the SID before the 2015 General Conference are more representative of that sort of diversity of voices, approaches, and perspectives. Though the final product didn't reflect that and also didn't reflect the amount of work <laughs> that was done to produce sort of that position, right? Um, but we all know what happened with that. And so I, I'm, I'm trying to just paint this picture, this idea that, you know, not <laughs> Africans are not the same. Uh, yeah. There is this idea and this temptation to think of Africans as similar, but we're not. We're not even agreed on women's ordination. Those that are pro-women's ordination are not even agreed on what that looks like, what that means. We're not even agreed on, you know, the agenda of African liberation progress and what is the African agenda? What does it look like? Others are nationalistic about it. Others are pan-Africanist about it. Others, you know, uh, sort of want to, duplicate this Euro-Western capitalist idea of governance and, and, and control in Africa. So we don't even agree on, on the approaches and matters that concern ourselves. So we are very, very diverse as a continent. And I think that's part of the work that faces a lot of African thinkers, scholars, and theologians to ensure that we speak up, we speak loud so that people, so that it, you know, <laughs> it can be clear that we are not beholden to one voice, one's perspective, one perspective. That is not African. Mm -hmm. In no. African culture, if I may share this, please. African rituals, right? African rituals, majority of African rituals are headed by women in African culture. The secrets of the family are held by women, right? And within the African homestead, there is no place and there is no ground that is not sacred. All ground is sacred. That's why it's our architecture um, is open, right? Uh, there are no partitions. And that's a sign of our theology that we do not believe in partitions and compartmentalizing life. So everything is in one place. And so the woman who holds the secrets of the family, holds the ideas and knows the ways of handling the rituals, uh, right, uh, that are central to the life of the family, knows the history of the family. These are all matriarchs of the family are not seen as just holding this knowledge, which is circular, but the knowledge is also quite sacred, right? Because there is no division between circular and sacred. Everything happens under one roof and within one space. So it is bizarre to hear an African talk about women should not lead rituals when in on the very continent that they come from and possibly a few generations within their families and the history of their families are held by by women so no african has the authority to claim and to falsely represent um african especially within the nguni sort of culture uh, within the South. And so I'm very clear that I'm speaking from that Southern perspective. When you go West or North of Africa, you might find different ideas, but it's bizarre for someone from this side of the world to talk about women being disqualified from the pulpit when they enter sacred spaces, spaces like the high priest where nobody else is allowed and only women are allowed into those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
Um, I'm so thankful for you sharing that and using the term ritual um, what is a really um, a great framework in helping me think about you know, power in Adventism because uh, we, I think in the U.S., don't, you know, we think of the church as different than ritual, um, all right. the of rituals. And mm. it's so clear that, you know, you know, women are at the center of so many of the things that bring a community together in a yeah. variety of places. So, and, you know, I had a conversation recently with a brother from Nigeria who was echoing uh, some of the things that you were talking about in the way that women are central to the community yeah. in um, in so in in so many parts of uh, North and South Nigeria. Yeah, um, I want to jump back a little bit. I want to hear a little bit about your own story. Um, I'll. For the audience, they should know that you're an avid cyclist. You're wearing a specialized uh, shirt right now. And I'm just curious how you got into cycling. Right. So pastoral work is stressful work. Um, <laughs> I just needed an outlet. Uh, and I'm, no, I'm joking. Actually, how I got into cycling was with a group of friends, um, young people, 2011, yeah, who wanted to do um, we think we were still dealing with, or we're doing this, uh, you know, we've had so many programs in the church that I've, I jumbled them up in my head. Oh, total member involvement is the recent one. Wow. Uh, each one bring one. And then, uh, yeah, so so many initiatives, uh, that, that, that we've had, but we, 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 so the friends wanted to do some work of evangelizing and bringing uh, young people into the church, uh, in Durban. And we thought about this brilliant idea, a crazy idea of doing a cycle tour from uh, over, I think it was 1,000 uh, kilometers um, from uh, Bloemfontein right down to Durban. And we got people to buy a kilometer. And that was the first time I got on a bike, road bike and traveled that and rode that distance. And I loved the pain. I loved the suffering. And... <laughs> And, and yeah, I just never, I haven't looked back ever since. Um, and that's been like a vehicle of doing good. So I do these cycle tours every year. I still, I race, I'll, you know, uh, do some crits, uh, which are painful. We'll do some, yeah, some races, uh, what do you call them? Grand Fondos. Mm -hmm. um, and I find it to be a very beautiful tool of uh, not evangelizing, but connecting with people. Um, funny enough, I just had this conversation with my wife earlier. And we were to, I was talking to her about uh, how outdated the topic or the term networking is, people networking, how transactional it is and how empty and devoid of humanity it is. And so we need to start talking about um, connecting. And and I think she was hitting back because I was hitting at their you know, professional space and she was hitting back and she's like, it just sounds like evangelism. It's so archaic and so... Uh, so, 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 so arrogant, you know, it assumes I know. Uh, and so you never connect with people that you always see as less than the, the people that you need to pour into, uh, what we should be doing actually is connecting. And I think, 
um, yeah, that's the, that's what cycling helps me to do to connect with people. Um, others may call it evangelizing. I call it connecting uh, uh, with people, and it's it's been beautiful. I'm here in Port Elizabeth. I've been here for two weeks, and I've already made a community of friends that call me and check up on me. You know, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that's great. I uh, I love the way that you're thinking about uh, reframing evangelism and and recognizing that it's really connecting humans with each other, and we really right. um, grow as a as a as a community out of that. Um, yeah, it's been really great talking with you, and I'm kind of sad that we're close to running out of time. But I've got one more um, question for you um, because I'm really curious about. We're in these, you know, in many ways, uh, troublesome times, but there is some um, reasons to uh, have hope uh, yeah. point. And I'm curious what's giving you hope these days. You're, you've recently moved. You're um, embarking on an incredible intellectual journey. You're, you've already achieved a lot of professional success in Adventism, but you're also willing to critique Adventism, which, you know, is a sometimes fraught path. So yeah. uh, what's, 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 what's motivating you and, and what's, um, what's giving you, um, a, what's keeping you in touch with the spirit? So we have this community, um, a virtual community that we started during lockdown last year uh, called Crossover, CrossOVR. We've got a few podcasts, I think about four. Just need to populate those more. And of course, on YouTube, we've had a couple of guys from that side joining us, um, you know, delivering messages uh, for us on, on, on the platform. So being part of that community uh, and the tip, uh, funny enough, the payoff line or the you sort of tagline of the community is creating is called crossover the bridge, creating spaces where no one needs to culturally migrate in order to belong. And it's been that sense of community that I think keeps me going. This idea of 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 of, of community, of you know, um, interaction and engagements uh, with people for, who. For me, I think I discovered during lockdown and you know this pandemic that um, pain, suffering, turmoil are not necessarily spelling the end, but can actually galvanize people to find each other, to look for each other, to seek each other out, including connecting with strangers, uh, you know, using phones, using laptops. And so I paused and I thought, man, humanity can rise above any obstacles and look for and find each other, look for and find each other amidst, you know, the noise and the chaos. And that for me uh, sort of helped me to um, sort of, you know, look beyond uh, what's going on and what's happening and to just look for people. That's just to look for people. And when you look for people, you discover that they've actually also been looking for you, even though they, you know, they, they didn't know. And that for me is just, it's mind blowing. Friend of mine from Crossover, Changa, a feminist voice, uh, and I, I, I hate to speak for feminists and about feminists. I hear I prefer to listen uh, to to them. And she says to me uh, the other day, and I shared this with her. And she says to me the other day, "Brew, but I mean, Brew is like, dude, you you're African, you're black, your life is." 
persecutions. Why would you be afraid of persecutions? Your whole life has been, you know, persecutions, right? Why would you be afraid of persecutions? And I thought about that and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't get any worse than this. Um, and this is not pretty bad. It's not bad at all. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not that bad. So might as well, um, you know, find a way of making meaningful contributions, meaningful connections. Um, yeah, I think sometimes when, when, when things go wrong and our lives are turned upside down, we tend to focus inwardly, leave the cities for the farms. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's all like just, a, you know, a self-centered approach to life and to troubles. And I think that creates isolation and there's a lot of suffering in isolation. And so uh, when you are faced with these challenges, I think the, the goal is to look outward and you'll always find a community that's willing to, you know, receive and connect with you. And that's been for me uh, the beauty of it all, the idea that God exists in community and therefore I should always find myself in community. Mm. Such beautiful sentiments. Thanks uh, for sharing that. And thank you so much for talking with me and the Spectrum community, of which I include you. And I'm really looking <laughs> forward to you writing more for us and right. continuing to help us think in truly uh, global uh, ways. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Alex, it would be, it would be remiss of me to not mention this. The first time I got published in a magazine was, I mean, a, a journal was Spectrum, uh, I think a year or two ago. So, yeah, thank you for the work you guys are doing and for amplifying African voices and voices from other places. And it's been beautiful to hear um, the truth in so many languages, so many perspectives and from so many frameworks through Spectrum. So you guys are important and keep, keep on keeping on. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget.